I appreciate the opportunity to discuss the welfare of racehorses with the Committee on Racing, Gaming, and Wagering and the Committee on Domestic Animal Welfare. I'm Dr. Craig Kulikowski. I have been working on equine welfare for 35 years. Before becoming an equine veterinarian, I was an avid equestrian in the sport of three-day eventing. In 1995, I was shortlisted for the Pan American Games, and in 1996, I was longlisted for the Olympic Games in Atlanta. All of this was accomplished on my off-the-track thoroughbred named Riff Raff. In 1998, I too graduated from Tufts University um, and began a year-long internship just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Like most equine-oriented veterinary students, I thought I had to be a racetrack veterinarian to be a good equine veterinarian. My internship was an equine practice that serviced two thoroughbred racetracks and one standardbred racetrack. I learned a lot that year. The most important thing that I learned during my internship is what I did not want to do for the rest of my life. A September 12, 2012 New York Times article about ethics of racetrack practices describes a well-known thoroughbred veterinarian, Dr. James Hunt. The article reports that Dr. Hunt said to regulators, the board must also understand that trainers make nearly 100% of all veterinarian decisions regarding the medication of their horses. The board must also understand that trainers make nearly 100% of all veterinarian decisions regarding the medication of their horses. It would be one thing if this was the position of one rogue veterinarian, <clears throat> but the truth is, is that that's the that attitude is normal practice on the racetrack. The trainer produces a list of veterinary procedures that he or she expects the veterinarian to provide every day. There is little or no medical examination or medical workup prior to treatment. Veterinarians are not permitted by trainers to charge for any sort of examination. The veterinarian is largely only permitted to charge if they treat with a medication. Many trainers required that the veterinarians have no contact with the actual owners of the horse. Why would a veterinarian abdicate their knowledge and skills over and over, day to day, trainer to trainer? The answer is that a trainer that controls the health of 100 horses also offers a veterinary practice substantial income. One trainer can offer hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue, and if one veterinarian will not abdicate their better judgment, there is always one that will. The racetrack healthcare environment is one of lawlessness on multiple levels. The Board of Veterinary Medicine only acknowledges and issues <clears throat> two animal health care degrees. One license is for doctor of veterinary medicine and the other is for a veterinary technician. Yet gaming and racing has issued racetrack licenses for equine therapists and equine dentists. Even though the Board of Veterinary Medicine has made it clear that only veterinarians and veterinary technicians can lawfully provide health care to any animal, Gaming Racing has decided to offer licenses to individuals without proper certification or licensure from the state. These individuals are practicing medicine without a license and more importantly, without the most basic required medical training. Very recently, an article by Thoroughbred Daily News targets the use of pulse electromagnetic field therapy machines. The article sympathizes with individuals with no veterinary training and suggests that the use of pulse electromagnetic therapy field, field therapy machines should not be limited to veterinarians or in veterinary technicians. Not surprisingly, they quoted Dr. Jim Hunt supporting their position that this healthcare treatment that masks pain and inflammation does not need to be handled by licensed veterinarians or veterinary technicians. This article also goes on to suggest that even the New York State Gaming and Racing Equine Medical Director, Dr. Scott Palmer, agrees that this therapy does not need to be managed by medically trained individuals. I personally re reached out to Dr. Palmer twice regarding this therapy and he declined to respond. But this is commonplace in the racetrack environment. The question is never, 
what is the right thing to do, instead, what can we get away with? It may seem like racing has bigger problems than keeping track of individuals practicing medicine without license, but when gaming and racing governing body is subverting, the Board of Veterinary Medicine has established the acceptance of breaking the rules to put horses' health at risk from the top down. The quality of racetrack medicine was not the only reason that I decided during my internship that I could not make a career as a racetrack veterinarian. These horses are immature juveniles. A two-year-old horse is equivalent to a six-year-old human. A three-year-old horse is equivalent to a nine-year-old human. Yet the biggest races, including the Triple Crown, are for three-year-olds. They still have their baby teeth, their bones are not mature, their brains are not mature. These juveniles are herded out to the racetrack for less than 30 minutes of exercise per day. Then these juveniles spend the rest of the, the day standing in a 12-foot by 12-foot stall. A 12 by 12 stall for a 1,000-pound horse is equivalent to a 4-foot by 4-foot closet for a 100-pound child. Most of these juveniles never see pasture or a moment of playtime once they start their racing career. The, the beneficial effects of regular activity throughout the, the day is well documented in juvenile humans and juvenile horses. Constant exercise makes bones, ligaments, and tendons stronger. What impact would 23 and one half hours of standing in a closet have on the bone strength of a child? What impact would 23 and one half hours of standing in a closet have on the mental health of a child? These stresses on these juveniles leads to lifelong issues. These lifelong issues of the juvenile racehorses often where my care comes into practice. The overwhelming majority of my patients are between five years old and 25 years old. The owners of my patients want their horses to be comfortable and serviceable throughout their life. The quick fix has no place in my patients' lives. The juvenile racehorse is often comes off the track with stomach ulcers from the stress of their work and environment. These, these juvenile racehorses also leave the track with tendon and ligament injuries, which severely impact their comfort and value as these injuries often dog them throughout their lives when they re-injure them over and over again. These juvenile racehorses often have evidence of osteoarthritis, even at the ripe old age of four years old. Some of the arthritis is from straight wear and tear. The rest of the arthritis is from, con from chronic, repetitive, and excessive joint injections with corticosteroids. Many other horse sports prohibit exhibition of horses younger than four years old. These juvenile racehorses also often have, meant, have been mentally stressed to the point where many boarding facilities do not accept thoroughbred as boarders because they are considered dangerous or wild. All of these factors make it difficult to place thoroughbreds in a recreational riding homes. Many charity dollars are diverted to retraining, rehabbing these juveniles for rehoming purposes. Every charity dollar that is diverted to a racehorse does not reach any other breed of horse or puppy or kitten or child. Every charity dollar that is diverted to rehome these racehorses is because the majority of breeders, owners, and trainers wash their hands of these horses' care the minute they are not financially viable. This lack of financial viability is many, <clears throat> in many of these racehorses is what led to the obvious next step, slaughter. Since humane euthanasia is always an option, I cannot think of a more selfish decision for a human to make about a horse. The irony of so many racing deaths causing concern at racetracks now is that at least these catastrophic breakdown injuries ended with humane euthanasia. Those horses did not bounce from home to home, from auction to auction, only to be crammed in like sardines to their final destination of slaughter plant halfway across the continent. I think it is worth considering the disturbing possibility that these catastrophic breakdown fatalities may have a more humane end to their life than what goes on behind the scenes. What would, what would have to change behind the scenes to make a difference in the welfare of the racehorses? Transparency. As long as horses have their medical conditions masked from the gambling public, racing governing bodies, and their owners, there's no possibility of collecting useful data to analyze which horses are breaking down or suffering the most. 
Only when there is transparency can we decide consequences, which veterinarians or trainers are associated with the most injuries. When their licenses are at risk, then maybe we can modify their behavior. As long as the industry allows these offenders to hide without consequence, there will be no change. In 20 years, I have seen no consequential changes. 20 years ago, at the end of my internship, I learned a lot of things. I learned I was not going to abdicate my responsibility as a veterinarian to protect animal welfare. I was not going to contribute to the lawlessness of the racetrack by worrying about what I could get away with more than what's right. I learned that two and three-year-old horses are juveniles and that should not, be, should not be stunted for greed. I learned I wanted to help horses stay sound and healthy throughout their entire life, not just until the next race. I actually learned to be a good equine veterinarian. I could not be a racetrack veterinarian. In term, in your opinion, all right, um, when do you think is the appropriate age for a horse to begin? Now, obviously, we're training our horses to become legit racehorses, right, and be winners, okay? Um, and I know in your testimony you say you don't want to stunt, right, because of greed. But when is an appropriate age for a horse? Because obviously you also don't want that horse not to be successful, right? So where do you find that balance? So that's a very complicated question to answer, uh, mainly because we don't have enough data for that. You know, most of the racing occurs as two and three-year-olds. Um, we don't know how that would necessarily compare if horses were held. We, we don't have double-blinded studies to hold the horse off from racing until they're five and then race that group of five-year-olds and to see how they compare. One thing I thought was interesting that, you know, that Dr. Palmer brought up was that some of the imaging modalities we have to determine whether there's subchondral bone necrosis, which he was suggesting was, and I think he's correct, in that that's one of the predisposing factors to breakdown, can be confusing in a juvenile horse. So potentially what he's saying is that these horses are too young to use this imaging modality correctly to, to be able to tell when we're approaching a catastrophic event. Um, and so without that sort of information, we're really limited. And um, I would like to say that six-year-olds are the best age to race horses, but there's no evidence for that because no one's tested that. You know, that's, it's never been studied to a point where we could conclusively say that six-year-olds are the best uh, age for it. I can just tell you that as a, as a two and a three-year-old, all their body parts are immature at that point and that they're still developing. Um, and I think we can extrapolate from, uh, from other species like humans in that we would not be taking a six-year-old child out for, as a professional athlete. We wouldn't be taking a nine-year-old child athlete out as a professional athlete, especially if they were going out, breaking limbs, and then being euthanized for that reason. But they're also starting in Little League, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, it, again, there's a progression. The Triple Crown is not Little League. <laughs> so it's a progression, but you, you, were talking, you were talking about humans, so I went back to the human component of it. And just like every athlete, right, uh, I know that when I played sports, my body is now taking a toll for it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think we just need to make sure that whatever is happening with our horses, there is a mechanism to control it, right, to have the information. Because I think that's the issue. We do not have transparency in what is happening with our horses. But I think you make the, the perfect point is that you do start at Little League, you know, and parents are there watching to make sure their son or daughter is handling it well. And if they get hurt, they don't go to the doctor's office to get a joint injected. 
and then bring them back for the next Little League practice. You couldn't have made a better point for me. These, these athletes are at the, they're at the Super Bowl, you know what I mean? These juveniles are at the Super Bowl, and their career is going to be done within a year or two after that. Thank you.